Welcome to Treasure Mountain, the podcast that inspires and guides people to find the treasure within human experience. I'm your host, Sohana. In this episode of Spirit Stories, we have as our guest Arjan Nito, who is coming to us from the mountains near Ørsta in western Norway. Arjan Nito was born on the west coast of Norway in 1970, and after finishing high school, attended the University of Bergen and the Norwegian School of Economics and Business Administration. He then spent a few years working as a chief financial officer at various companies, and then spent two years of backpacking around the world. Having become interested in meditation, Ajahn Nito travelled to Australia in 2007 to be ordained as a bhikkhu, a Buddhist monk, under Ajahn Brahm at the Buddhist Society of Western Australia in Perth. After one year as an anagarika, a trainee, and one year as a samanera, a novice, Ajahn Nito took higher ordination as a bhikkhu in 2009. After more than 10 years of training as a bhikkhu in Perth and a few stays with Ajahn Ganhar in Thailand, he has now returned to Oslo in Norway, where he currently resides. Together with John Andrew Murka, he established the Buddhist Society of Oslo and Viken in 2021, and is now teaching retreats and Buddhism in various places in Norway while building a Buddhist community there. The goal is to establish a centre in Norway for the teaching and practice of the people there. I really enjoyed making this episode with Arjun Nito. He's a great storyteller in the making, and he's someone who has set about making a meaningful impact. I really hope that you enjoy hearing this episode with Arjun Nito. It's his spirit story. Trisha Mountain, Arjun. How are you today? Hello, and thank you. I'm fine today. Uh, how is the weather up in the up in the mountains? <laughs> uh, well, this is up in the mountains in Norway, and it it really varies from day to day. But today is actually quite uh, sunny and nice and warm. So I imagine you're enjoying the the rather short summer that you have there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, Norway is a cold, cold country, so we really enjoy the summer uh, to the max. Uh, we have like, I don't know, half the year is quite cold in Norway, but then the, uh, the six other months can be really okay, and summertime can be really, really uh, nice, actually. Well, it sounds like you're really enjoying it. I think we should get started. Yeah. I really wanted to uh, start by taking you back to the beginning of your spiritual journey and ask what... Uh, prompted you to start paying attention to the mind and to meditation? Yeah, um, that is actually um, two different stories. And, uh, and, and the first story is actually about uh, meeting my, my first teacher. And, and that was actually a Norwegian teacher. Uh, because many, many years ago, when I, 
when I when I was a student at business school in in Bergen, me and and uh, some friends we decided to go trekking, and there is this famous place in Norway which is called for Bessagen. and it's 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 a place which is rated by National Geographic as one of the twenty most beautiful tracks in the world. So we wanted to go there as well. Neither of us have been there before. So we we borrowed a car. Uh, and we drove to a cottage not too far away. One of us had parents owning a, a cottage, so we went there. And uh, uh, the next morning, uh, we drove the last bit up to a lake, a lake called Yande. And and from there, you take a boat, like uh, a long ride in one direction, and then you go up in the mountains and basically go back, but in the mountains. And this is. A, a quite quite a long trek. It's um, maybe ten, maybe twelve hours of walking. You you, you ascend like four hundred meters in the beginning, and then there's a long walk, and uh, then you ascend four hundred meters more, and then there's a, <laughs> another long walk or trek, and then down again eight hundred meters. So it's a long trek, but it's extremely beautiful. And uh, when we when we came to this uh, lake early in the morning, we had to wait for the boat to come. We were too early. So while we were uh, kind of emptying the car for backpacks and, and gear, I happened to see down like a, a road, like a gravel road. And, and um, I saw a lot of butterflies. And I, I still can remember this. This is now maybe like 25 years ago. And there were so many of them that when they were all blue. And I, and I always been been fascinated by butterflies, so I uh, I started to walk towards them. I, I just wanted to kind of be with something beautiful. I just look at something uplifting and beautiful. And when I came there, they they were all over the place. Uh, and I I got this idea that I wanted to catch one of those butterflies. And I, and I didn't want to kind of harm them or just to imprison them or something. I just wanted to catch one and hold it in my hand and just lift it up and just look at it. Just kind of be with something beautiful. But, but we all know what happens. Like if you try to catch a butterfly, when you reach out your hand and, and you get too close to the butterfly, it just flies away. And you can try to follow it. It lands somewhere else, and you can follow it and try to reach out, and it just flies away again. And I, I think I tried two or three different butterflies, and they all flew away. So I, I wasn't able to, to catch one of those butterflies. So I, uh, I gave up, and I, I went back to my friends. And uh, the boat came, and uh, after that boat trip, we started to trek up in the mountains. And uh, like halfway into this trek, you arrive at this, this, this spot, this place called Bessagen. And it's about six hours. It's six hours walk. And I remember when I came there after six hours, I, I felt so like, strangely happy and light, like mentally. So I, I kind of naturally just went aside from my friends. They, my friends were starting to socialize with other kind of trackers at that area. But I, I went aside 
a bit a bit further down, uh, where I found this really nice place, a peaceful place where I can kind of enjoy the view, the view of the lakes and the mountains and the landscape in front of me. And that's where something really, really strange happened to me. Um, while I was standing there alone, uh, I could just suddenly see a butterfly coming, flying straight towards me, like in a straight line. And it just landed on my chest. Of course, like a, a butterfly, it, it landed on my body with like one gram, but it kind of hit my mind with 100 kilos. And I, I just didn't understand, like, how come this butterfly come flying and just landed on my body and why, I'm, why I was so happy. Like all, all my, when I was standing there, all my worries and all my concerns about finding the perfect girlfriend and what kind of job I should kind of get in the future and being poor, not having enough money as a student and the upcoming exams, etc. All of that was just gone. And I, I was just standing there enjoying kind of the view with a, with a small little friend. <laughs> and, and I didn't understand that <clears throat> that was actually my first little teacher. And he was trying to teach me the Four Noble Truths. But I was, at that time, I was quite young. <laughs> and I, I thought that wisdom, that has, is to be found at universities and business schools from, from professors. And it took me about 15 years uh, to understand what actually happened there. And, and, it, and just after many years as a bhikkhu, I, I did actually understand. In the beginning of, of this, uh, this track, of this trip, I was trying to catch a butterfly. And that is a form of craving. I, I was craving for some kind of happiness and I, I wanted to be with something beautiful, like having a beautiful mind. And it didn't work. It just, all that happiness, it just flew away. But when I walked about six hours on a rocky trail, and, and when you walk in the mountains on a rocky trail, you really have to be mindful of your body. You, know, you have to know each step, where to put your left foot and then your right foot and then your right foot again. And if you don't, you fall over. And it, it's not fun to fall over in the mountains. So what you are basically forced to do is to be in the present moment. You have to be here and now you have to be there walking in the present. And by doing that, being in the present, you're free from the future. You're free from all the worries and concerns and your fears. And you're free from the past, all your ill will, <laughs> your negativity and your, all the fault finding, all your kind of all the bad memories, which makes you negative. All of that you're free from. And the result is peace. And, and like a, a freedom from, from, from what is heavy or difficult mentally. And, um, and, and when you do that, when you're like walking and you're mindful and you're in present moment, that is when this wings of, of happiness comes flying to you 
all by itself. You don't need to do anything at all. And, <laughs> and uh, I also like to say that all these uh, butterflies I've met, they have, uh, they have different colors. There are yellow ones and there are blue ones and there are white ones and orange ones. And uh, they all have different names. And I call them for like happiness or peace or bliss or, or freedom. And that's, that's a story which got me really interested uh, in my mind and, and happiness. So my, my, uh, my first teacher was actually a butterfly. And uh, you mentioned earlier there was a second part to the story. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I was kind of later on. Yeah, correct. Later on, uh, my brother, he started to do uh, backpacking. And uh, he's been all over the planet. I think he did two years of backpacking. And at one point, I was back in Norway. And he sent me an email. He said, okay, I'm going to this weekend retreat. I think it was in Mexico, I think. And I, e I emailed back and said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And uh, uh, may you have a nice uh, retreat. So he went to this retreat. And then uh, a couple of weeks after, I got a new email. Uh, I'm going now on a, on a seven days retreat. And I answered back, yeah. That sounds good. That sounds like a nice, a nice idea. May you have a nice retreat. <laughs> mm. And a couple of weeks after, I got another email. He said he was going for one month's retreat. Wow. And then I, I remember when I got that email, what? <laughs> are, you, are, you, are, you, are you actually really tired of backpacking now? Or are you, what's, what's, what's going on? And I said, well, okay, if that's what you want to do. Uh, <laughs> please do that. <laughs> mm. And uh, after a month and a few more weeks, I got my um, last email. He said, well, I'm actually going on a six months retreat. Oh, wow. There were a group of Westerners, uh, and they, uh, like 30, 40 of them, and they uh, decided to rent a farm up in the mountains in Peru, uh, close to Machu Picchu. And they were just going to live up there very simply and get local food. I stay there for half a year, uh, studying and meditating. And that's when I re realized, what? <laughs> Are you going to spend half a year sitting on some kind of cushion somewhere and just look at the inside of your eyes, <laughs> your eyelids? <laughs> and and. Uh, and that made me really think if because my brother he he's really mature uh, uh he's smart he's well educated and and if he actually can dedicate half a year of his life to medicate meditation then maybe i should try as well so i i started to search on the internet for for like uh, meditation retreats and I, 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 this was at a time when Google was just starting up. So we were searching for a meditation retreat um, uh, in Norway and, and also globally. And there is this jungle <laughs> of traditions mm. and retreats and opinions and, and, and uh, uh, religions. But I, I just knew one thing. I wanted to do a Buddhist retreat. 
and I just couldn't decide on what what to do. So I ended up sending an email to there is a there is, is this organization called the uh, Federal the, the Norwegian Federal no the Norwegian Buddhist the Buddhist Federation. It's like an umbrella organization for all the uh, smaller societies in Norway, Buddhist societies in Norway. And I just, I just asked, is there any organization in, uh, in Norway who are going to run a retreat, uh, like a seven days or nine days retreat? And then a couple of weeks after, I got an email back from from a from a guy in in uh, in Oslo saying, "Yep, we are go- we're going to run a retreat in six months, and there will be." two monks coming from Australia, a Norwegian monk and a German monk. And they were going to run, they're going to hide, they, they were going to hire this place quite close to Oslo, yeah, out in the, in the forests. And I uh, asked to be part of that retreat. And as soon as I was accepted into that retreat, I got an email from, uh, from the, uh, this group who did that retreat with links to uh, a web page, which probably you, <laughs> you saw <Saul> made <laughs> many, many years ago. <laughs> possibly, yeah. Yeah, I think it was the first web page of BSWA because I, I, I can remember that was this, this table on a, there was a web page and there was like 12 or 16 uh, web uh, talks, MP3 talks, which you can download and then run on your computer. And I just started mm. to download everything I could find from Ajahn Brahm and also other, uh, other teachers, especially uh, uh, in this, uh, uh, mostly from this uh, Ajahn Chah tradition uh, in uh, yeah. Europe and in Australia and, uh, and North America. And uh, after going to that retreat, I actually decided to try to be Tordain. And the reason mm-hmm. was that I, uh, I got really good teachings from Ajahn Brahm and the way he was teaching uh, really um, worked for me. He had a way of teaching which I took in and I got really, really good meditation really quickly. Maybe it's kind of mm-hmm. beginner's luck or maybe it's because I had a fresh start. Nobody, nobody had taught me anything about meditation before that. And he came with really good uh, instructions. And I just did that. And I got really, really good uh, uh, meditation. And the result of that retreat, my first retreat, was so um, positive, or actually so mind-blowing, and so uplifting, uh, that I decided that I just had to uh, try full-time, one year, as some kind of postulant or some kind of monk to, to explore this development of the mind, this meditation thing. Right. Can I ask, was, was that monk, was that Ajahn Brahmali who took that first retreat that you went on? Yes. That was, uh, he was just five years as a bhikkhu, and he was allowed right. to start teaching. So he... He came to Norway and he didn't teach much. It was this German monk, uh, Ajahn Chatamalo, who was the teacher. But right. he, he came and he had translated the, the, the setting in motion, the wheel of the Dhamma, this Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta. And he translated it into Norwegian. 
And so he read out that first teachings of the Buddha in Norwegian, <laughs> in Norway. <laughs> mm. Wow, right. Yeah. Okay. So that's, so you had some good experiences with meditation and uh, you then decided it was time to travel to the other side of the earth, uh, to this rather out-of-the-way place uh, yeah. to train with Ajahn yeah. Brahm. Yeah. In fact, actually, I think pretty sure I met you for the first time. You weren't too long off the plane when I bumped into you. Do you remember okay. that? No. I, I, well, the, thing, I, the thing that struck me at that, at that time, and you, you were an Anagarika. I can't remember how long you'd been in uh, Western Australia at the time. But okay. I remember that you, you were very, very enthusiastic and uh, you said, oh, yeah, I'm I, I'm going to become a monk and one day I'm going to go back to Norway. And uh, you oh, said that at that time. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> going back yeah, to I, Norway. I remember it. <laughs> okay. And I thought, well, that's very nice. That's, that, yeah. that's very nice. But I didn't, you know, you were just uh, an Anagarika wearing white at the time. Yeah. yeah. And so I didn't, I didn't put too much weight on it. Uh, but uh, it's interesting how things uh, have turned around. So, um, you came to Australia. What was your experience when you? This is a huge change, huge life change. Uh, you've come to a monastery. This is a very different from the life you led before. What was your experience of making that transition? Oh, um, um, I think that for me, uh, it was a, a big change, of course. But for me, I, I was really motivated because I had really good experience before I came there. So I, I kind of knew why, why I, uh, um, why I wanted to come there. So I was very um, energetic and I was willing to let go a lot because I knew I had to let go as much as I could uh, and get a very peaceful and calm surrounding and supporting surrounding for meditation to continue my 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 development of my mind so for me yeah it's like yeah you after a while you have to give up money and you have to give your girlfriend and you you don't have your own house and you don't have much at all but which is which is kind of difficult to let go of. but i also had like a uh, an, an inner motivation to let it go because i knew already when i came there the benefits of following this teaching. You you learn to let go of so much around you. So you don't have, you have very little freedom to do things, but you have so much freedom from, from things. So for me, it, it wasn't all that difficult to let go of all the, my, my, I, I had a girl, I had a girlfriend and I had a nice job. And I have my family and my friends here in Norway, and I have to let go of all of that. But it, but again, I told myself I'm going to try this for one year. So I always had that in the back of my mind. So in case this doesn't work and in case this doesn't doesn't uh, lead the way I want, I can always just quit this and go back. So I didn't. I didn't. My my perception was it wasn't that difficult really, because I had so much. Uh, motivation and inspiration to really do these things and i also i had a really nice uh, development the first years in in um in australia right right uh, well you spent ended up spending 10 years um 
at Bodhnyana Monastery in Western Australia. Um, how did you find that that was, how did that change things for you? What was that like? Uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of lay people would wonder, well, what, what's it like being being a monk? You know, mm-hmm. you know, not just uh, spending a, a few months there, but this is it. I mean, by the yeah. time you decided to take full ordination, you must have had a, a pretty good idea that you were going to stick with this for a while. Yeah, it, kind of. For me, when I came to Australia, I had this decision. I wanted to try one year. And I really, really want to do that 100%. Really put in an effort and listen to a, to a great teacher like Ajahn Brahm and really try to do that and follow his teachings and his advice and, and also all the inspiration I could get from Ajahn Chah, his teacher. And after half a year, I decided, okay, one year is not enough. I have to try two years. And then you need to take uh, this uh, Samanera or this novice ordination. So after half a year, I went back to Norway and I told my family that I actually, <laughs> I'm actually going to ordain <laughs> as a as a as a as a monk, as a, a novice. Mm. And I went back, and uh, I did that novice ordination. And so I decided to try for two years. For because I had one problem, I had health problems in Australia, and mm. I didn't know what was the oh, problem. Right. Uh, I didn't. I did have the inspiration, and I knew what I wanted to do, and I had a good teacher, and had good progress. But I had health problems. I had digestion problems. And uh, after two years, I decided, okay, I really have to try this for five years until I had five years as a bhikkhu. Hmm. And um, those five years, they just flew nicely. I had a really nice, uh, I started to get uh, a handling on my health problems. I started getting better. And I remember after, I think, six or seven years as a bhikkhu in, in Perth, so that is totally like eight or nine years, one guest at this monastery came and just asked me, so look, how, for how long are you going to be a bhikkhu? <laughs> he just asked me like, uh, is it one more year? Or is it like five more years? Or, or are you ready to leave now? <laughs> because the reality is that uh, most of the people who ordain, they give up after a certain amount of years. But I was asked, mm. and, and that question came very uh, uh, surprisingly on me. And even more surprised, I was of my own uh, answer. And this answer just came, came out um, I'm going to be a big the rest of my life. And it was just an answer. It was just an honest uh, answer coming straight from my heart. So I already knew after six or seven, eight years that if I can get enough support to live as a bhikkhu, I probably do this the rest of my life. Because I, I, I can't I can't see anything better you can do with a human uh, with a human life than developing happiness mm. because that's what we're doing we <laughs> we're starting to examine our own minds and why happiness um, comes up in our minds and how that can stop and when suffering goes away the result is happiness and you learn to become happy temporarily in deeper meditations so you really learn. The, the power of the mind, how, how beautiful, how fantastic your mind actually can be if you have wisdom. So you, you, 
by medita- like meditation is like a, a laboratorium where you start to work on your mind and how can you be happy? How can unwholesome or difficult or heavy emotions kind of disappear, at least temporarily? And then the result is that you get really, really uplifted and happy and peaceful and stable and free. And when you start to get those kind of experiences um, uh, in meditation, then you naturally start to develop that uh, uh, wisdom which creates a permanent happiness in the mind, not just based on meditation, but based on wisdom. I think that you've hit the nail on the head there. It's a beautiful story. Uh, in part, it shows that the monastic form, like to a lot of lay people who are looking upon it and they, who may even respect it a great deal, it seems very hard to do, but actually it really is set up just to protect the meditative mind, the, the mind of relinquishing and letting go. Yeah. And if you can do that, then it is, it's, a, it's a very good place to be at. Yeah. Um, and I also just wanted to comment, comment that I, maybe you, I'm not sure whether you were aware of it at the time, but your, your approach was one which was, let's try it out. Let's stick with this for a year. Okay, let's try another two years. I think yeah. that approach is a really good approach um, yeah. rather than saying, you know, I'm going to do this until my, you know, my, my blood dries up and my yeah. bones, bones turn to dust. You know, I, I see that sometimes and it, it tends not to last very long. <laughs> no. that, that is a type of effort which is based on craving, on will, or wanting. Mm. Of, uh, and it never works. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. So I think it turned out really well. I think it's a, it's it's quite instructive that you know, that gradual approach. I think is uh, really nice. Yeah. Um, well, I have to I have to ask you before before we move on. Um, yeah. do, do you have any classic um, Ajahn Brahm stories? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. I, this is one. This is uh, um, uh, this is one of my favorite stories for Ajahn Brahm, and it's very short. Uh, but I just like what he said because. Um, what I like most, at least now, after many years, I, I've, I've, uh, I've been living with Ajahn Brahm for 13, 14 years. I've heard all his teachings <laughs> too many times. <laughs> and it's all been good teachings, but in the end, it's like, well, here we go again. Same story, same, et cetera, et cetera. So in the end, it was what, what still inspires me is that when Ajahn Brahm uh, gets asked a question and he can just, it just pops out an answer, out of the blue kind of mm. thing. And, and that's, the, that's what I love going uh, when Arjan Brahm is teaching nine days retreats. And people ask all these weird questions in the evening, just coming from all kinds of directions. And Arjan Brahm just comes all these beautiful answers. And you learn to see things from different perspectives. And, and th- yeah. this is what happened once uh, uh, um, we were, all the monks were taking their food and um, uh, just before Ajahn Brahm was going upstairs with his food, uh, I think somebody was asking, like everybody, or asking Ajahn Brahm, what was the, li- the last teachings uh, that the Buddha gave? What was his last teachings? Because there are all kind of translations and variations of, and interpretations of what what the, the, the Buddha's last words were. 
and Ajahn Brahm, he just came with this, <laughs> this, uh, his own uh, translation of uh, the, la the Buddha's last words. And it was, uh, hurry up. <laughs> yeah. hurry up and train hurry up and develop just just yeah. hurry up life life is kind of uh uh going fast just hurry up meditate train yeah. and develop <laughs> he has an excellent sense of timing as well so uh, yeah 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 um Later on, after you spent some time with Ajahn Brahm, you decided to travel to Thailand and you spent some time with Ajahn Gunha. Could you talk a little bit about that uh, experience? Yeah, I, I can. Um, that was a lot of people when they ordained, they actually go to some kind of Asian country. They go to Thailand or they go to Japan or they go to Sri Lanka or India or somewhere. So they get their first training in Asian country, which is kind of typical because or, or it kind of makes sense because that's uh, countries and cultures where, with a lot of teachers. But I, I went to a, uh, to a Western country. So, and I, I went to uh, a Buddhist country after I become a senior monk. And, uh, and uh, so I came to Thailand as a Thera, as a, as a, as a senior monk. And, uh, at Ajangana's place, there is basically nobody of the seniors speaking English. And of course, they don't speak Norwegian. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so when I came there, it wasn't possible to talk to anybody of the seniors. I always needed a translator. And uh, 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 because both Ajangana himself, and he has like three Mahateras, and none of them speak English. So I, I came there and I just, I, I couldn't do anything actually, just, but just uh, fitting in and doing like what everybody else did and then uh, meditating a lot. Uh, so for me, it was, it was kind of difficult. Uh, in one sense, if you don't understand the language, you either have to learn the language or you're basically on your own. And that was really okay for me <laughs> because I really like this, this idea of being responsible for my own life and, and, uh, and, do, and kind of figure out the way to do it myself and then get inspirations from other senior monks. Uh, so I really, I really liked going there and I was really, really impressed by, by uh, Ajahn Ganha. He is this, Ajahn Ganha is this big guy Yes, his body is really big, and hmm. uh, but he has uh, a mind which is extremely special, in in a positive sense. Uh, uh, I I have this. I've heard all these stories about Ajahn Chah, like Ajahn Brahm's teacher. And I stayed with Ajahn Ganha for a while. I had this feeling that this is like a copy of, <laughs> of Ajahn Chah. Mm. <laughs> he has this, uh, there is this mind which is so developed and there's so much kindness, understanding. And, uh, and, uh, and he, when I was there the first time, he actually did quite much teaching as well. He had a, a Chinese monk there who spoke both Chinese and Thai in English really well. So he translated 
all the teachings from Ajahn Ganha into English, so I could understand what he was teaching. So I was really happy staying there. I had, had a, a good time, and I, I got some advice from him as well, so directly from, from one from, from him to me. And he was actually the one who was kind of uh, recommending me to go back to Norway. Really? Yeah, because I wasn't huh. in, in Australia. I was, uh, yeah, I had health problems, but I didn't really had any plan to go back to Norway. I didn't really. Uh, hmm. But uh, uh, it ended up uh, after visiting Ajahn Ganha that maybe it should be a good idea for me to go back to Norway and, and try to create something in Norway. Did he and, say why? Do you have any particular reason? Uh, uh, he somehow, I, I must say that somehow he was reading my mind. <laughs> mm. <laughs> he, I, I was, especially the first time I was there, I, I had some questions about what to do. When I came to Achangana the first time, I was becoming a senior monk and I knew that if I am to move away from Australia of some reason or another I should do it now if I wait 20 more years I'm too old <laughs> to go back to Norway <laughs> or 10 more years true, true. and I ended up going to, Th to Thailand and um, he without me asking I, I, I was I was just sitting there uh, behind him when he was teaching, and one day, he, one evening, he was teaching the lay people. He just suddenly stopped teaching everybody else and he just turned around and looked directly at me, and said, uh, "Well, uh, uh, maybe you can go back to Norway." Hmm. That's really remarkable. Because actually, my next question was about you know what prompted you to go to Norway. <laughs> Um, and bearing in mind that it's um, it's quite a difficult path to tread to go to a Western country where there's not really much Buddhism around or to a place where there's not a lot of support uh, and there's not a Buddhist culture and then to try and start something from, from, from scratch is a, a very difficult uh, thing to undertake. And uh, of, of all the Western monks and nuns, who, who uh, do practice and get to their senior years uh, as, as, you know, past the 10 year mark, very few of them want to take on that role because it, I guess they perceive it as being quite onerous. Um, and yet you, you, you've now made that choice and you're saying that Ajahn, Ajahn Ganha was, was a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. You can say that, but um, I, uh, all those years in Australia, uh, I'm not actually sure of why, but I always had this feeling uh, of being in Australia is like going somewhere to take some kind of education and then go back. and never managed to kind of feel at home at mm. Budinjana. There was always something which stopped me from kind of settling and say, okay, I can be here the rest of my life. There was always something uh, in the background which uh, stopped 
me from settling and say, okay, I can be here in, in Australia. I can be in, in Wodinana. I'm, I can live in Perth, which I could have done and then help Ajahn Brahm and the other senior monks there. Um, but I never came to that place that, okay, I can, I can be here. So I always had in me this idea of wanting to go back to Norway. And for many, many right, years, right. Ajahn Brahm was, um, he was such a powerful, um, he was such a important part for me in my development. So he, he was able to kind of stop me from leaving earlier. Uh, so he managed to keep, because of his, um, his skills and his seniority and his wisdom and his kindness, he managed to keep me there quite many years. But at one point or another, there were too many things which kind of uh, pushed me back to Norway. And then uh, in that period, when I was kind of going back and forth, what should I do now? Like, what should I do the rest of my life? Because I, I, I I've come to this conclusion that I will try, I, uh, most probably, I will, I will be a bhikkhu the rest of my life. So what should I do with this the rest of my life? Should I stay in Australia? Should I go somewhere else? Should I go back to Norway? And just at that time, I actually went to visit Ajahn Ganha. And he was, uh, he was very clear three times in three different, uh, three, three diff different episodes or, or times he basically was directing, directing me back to Norway. Yes, that's so interesting. Uh, wow. Uh, apart from that experience, um, going to Thailand and getting that prompting from Ajahn Ganha, what uh, was it in Norway that made you feel confident that you could go there? I mean, did you have some connections there where people were saying, oh, come to Norway, we'll support you? Did you have anything like that? Or what was <laughs> no. it like when you turned up? The problem is that uh, maybe I should have done that. But the thing is, I, I was in Thailand and then my, my auntie died. And I, I, I had to go to Norway for that funeral. And as soon as that funeral was over, COVID came <laughs> and all, all the borders shut down. So I was just stuck in Norway. I couldn't, I wasn't allowed, and Australia was very strict. It was impossible for mm. me to go back to Australia. And Thailand is same. Thailand was had a lot of problems with COVID. So I couldn't go back to Thailand. I couldn't go back to Australia. And here I am, <laughs> no support, <laughs> just staying with my family. <laughs> so what do I do now? <laughs> Yeah, right. That's... And, and uh, 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 in the past, uh, before I went to Australia, um, there were a few people in Oslo, which I knew was a, quite kind of a part of our Buddhist society. But I, I didn't really wanted to connect with them. Uh, they, they kind of uh, started a project going another direction than what I wanted to do. So I just started. I just, okay, this is, I have to stay here now for a while. Maybe this is my chance to see whether it's possible to do something in Norway. And I, I spent a few weeks and months setting up a web page. Mm -hmm. and, and I actually made, <laughs> I actually made a podcast as well, <laughs> but I, I removed it because it wasn't good enough, but it was just, I, I, I was trying to take all the teachings I have given so far uh, in Australia and make it available uh, in Norway. And uh, I made this web page and I said that I, I, uh, I want to try to create 
a Buddhist society in Norway? And is there anybody interested? And then after half a year, I got this uh, email from one guy in Oslo, which I didn't even know. And we started to chatting on email, chatting on some kind of messenger, and then we had starting to make phone calls. And we connected really well. He has been in, in Perth many times. He'd been on Nine Days Retreat with Ajahn Brahm and knew a little bit about Ajahn Brahmali, which also is Norwegian. So I, I went to Oslo uh, to visit him in, in February uh, 2021, or last year. And we decided to just start, start a Buddhist society. And a couple of months after, was we that, actually did. Was that John Endor Moka? Yeah, yeah, his name is, uh, uh, yeah. the Norwegian pronunciation is Junandra Merck. Junandra Merck, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, very interesting. So we just started. So that's, that's. I can't help but feel like, um, you know, all the circumstances around your return to Norway, it was almost as if the universe was conspiring to make <laughs> you there and get you stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> the universe just just uh, kind of uh, sent me to Norway and then locked up everything. So I had to stay in Norway for two years. I had to stay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had no choice. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. So it's, I have to say, just uh, I, my recent guest was um, Aya Tataloka from the, mm-hmm. from, from the United States. And... She ended up in the United States in a similar way because she was ha- very happy practicing um, where she was in Korea. And then because of immigration kind of situation, she's got put on a plane and sent to California. She didn't even come from California. She didn't know anybody. And she <laughs> oh, was stuck there, you okay. know. It's, it sounds a bit similar. You know, it's like the universe kind of has other plans for us and sometimes yeah. <laughs> those things are quite, yeah. quite fortuitous. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so what has been your experience so far in terms of founding um, a Buddhist community in Norway? It sounded like it was a little bit slow getting started, but after you made those initial connections, what's what's it been like since then? Yeah, just, just remember that when I came to Norway, I was quite junior as a senior. <laughs> I, I didn't mm. have that much um, teaching experience. I don't really well for many, many years developing and training. But I, I haven't had much training in actually giving uh, speeches and, and uh, teaching retreats and, and traveling around and, and inspiring other people. I didn't have much of that. I've just been a couple of times to the city center in Perth. And I think I've, I taught one or two weekend retreats at John Grove in, in, in Perth. Uh, and, and that's it. So when I came to Norway, I was really young. Uh, Ajahn Brahm likes to call like a, a baby Ajahn, <laughs> a, very, a very inexperienced uh, uh, teacher. A, l- a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, but not much experience in, in kind of uh, communicating this, trying to inspire and teach others. So in the beginning, I, I, um, I basically, ha- and, and then another thing, I've been in Australia for almost 15 years. And those years, I was thinking English, I was speaking English, I was reading English. So all my development and all my studies and has been in an English language. And when I came back to Norway, it was really difficult to talk about Buddhism in Norwegian language. Because in, in, the, uh, in the English language, a lot of the words 
from, from Sanskrit and Pali are kind of standardized. So we say mindfulness, it means sati. Yeah. So in English, it's kind of, you, we have kind of uh, ended up agreeing a lot of words describing some, uh, Pali, uh, some Buddhist terms. But that's not the case in Norway. So when I, when I was going to start to teach in Norwegian, Buddhism in Norwegian, I, I honestly didn't know what kind of words I should use. Like, wh what is samadhi in Norwegian? What is, what is sati? What is mindfulness in Norwegian? What is right effort in Norwegian? So I had to start on absolutely scratch. Like, how do you, what, what words can you use in, in, in Norway, in, in Norwegian language, uh, to teach uh, Buddhism. So it was really difficult in terms of language. And I was a young bhikkhu, a young kind of senior monk without much uh, teaching experience. So I had a really, it was a difficult start. Um, but after a while, I started to get, I started to kind of find words which sounds kind of correct in Norwegian. Yeah. And I started teacher retreat because uh, I, uh, that's, that's what I like the most actually, is <laughs> to teach retreats because there's so much interesting things to teach. And I really like to teach about the meditation experience and mindfulness and samadhi and, and, and try to inspire for, uh, people to, to, to learn and to practice and get their own results. Just like I did when I went to my first retreat, I got all this door opening experiences. And I, I want people to have um, the same experiences. And that's already happening now in Norway. I'm actually, I, I'm a, to be honest, I'm a little bit proud of this. I'm still a quite young teacher, but I'm already starting to really help people to get really nice experiences in meditation. Oh, fantastic. But I think also, like you say, you're almost like having to develop this new language of Buddhism, which is in Norwegian. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I guess you're setting the, not maybe not quite the standard, but you're, you're creating the vocabulary and the way to communicate about these spiritual practices and spiritual experiences. You, it's, it's in one sense, because for all of us to understand these things, it tends to start with someone teaching us verbally or, or perhaps in print you're you're creating that for the i get maybe the first time i'm not sure it sounds it sounds like yeah at, at least it feels like that <laughs> <laughs> because there isn't all my all that much uh kind of uh, uh established language so maybe mm. I, I maybe i can maybe maybe that's what i'm doing but for me it's yeah, just I like I think it takes time and um, it, it, it's, it's, it's like a dialogue. And, and as you know, in English, you know, words like samadhi, which used to get translated as concentration today, you know, others, particularly Ajahn Brown, are saying, well, actually, no, it's stillness. So it's always yeah. in motion. It's always moving. But to get started is a pretty, pretty significant kind of a um, circumstance as well to get started and so in some ways i find that quite an exciting prospect yeah yeah and, and 
every time I uh, every time I uh, I teach some retreat or I'm giving some some talk, I'm just learning and learning and getting better and better and better. So I, I just as I told the the leader of our uh, little uh, society, just give me a few years, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> I, and I think I can be pretty okay as a teacher, even in Norwegian yeah. language. But I need some time, yeah. and that's and that's also why we haven't published that much yet on on, like, on digital kind of YouTubes or podcasts or anything, because I need some time to um, to practice being a teacher and, and finding all the right words, uh, both in English and Norwegian, and telling uh, stories the right, uh, in, a, in a good way and giving a lot of similes, etc. I also need time uh, to become like a teacher. I think it's a really important point. I mean, uh people don't don't appreciate that uh it, it takes time first of all to really bed down the practice and get some good experiences in practice mm. Mm. and then then also but teaching is a skill as well and i know that um like everyone likes to rave about Ajahn Brahm now but i know some of the older members of the buddhist society wa would say you know if we're going back to the 1980s you know I, they thought his teachings were boring <laughs> <laughs> You know, and they they wanted they didn't want Arjun Brahm. They wanted Arjun Jagaro. You know, they got Arjun Brahm. Oh, nuts! You know, it's no good. <laughs> I just, I just have... <laughs> he, he, he developed and he got a whole lot better. Yeah, I just when you said that, I remember this short story from from Budinyana, because uh, Arjun Brahm got a visitor from from uh, Singapore, um, a, a really a good supporter of him in Singapore, and, and she came to visit. Ajahn Brahm at Bodhinyana. And she was getting curious about some older teaching Ajahn Brahm has given when he was like a young, young senior, when, when he was a young mm. teacher. <laughs> and so she went to the library and got some of the oldest talks Ajahn Brahm gave. And he took it back to her room and started to listen, listen to those teachings. <laughs> and the day after, she, she, she went straight up to Ajahn Brahm and just told him, like face to face, I I I, uh, I listened to one of your teachings you gave when you were a young monk, and that is the worst teaching I've heard in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and now uh, Ajahn Brahm is, is so skilled in teaching on all levels. Uh, he can teach like very like a like a little bit like populistic or like uh, easy funny. Um, uh, uh, teachings and it can give teaching to the monks which are deep and can give uh, uh, retreat uh, talks on retreat so he, he he's developed skills and teaching skills in all kind of settings he can teach 5,000 people mm. on a conference center he can teach one-on-one -on -one to another monk really really deep stuff so he has the whole mm. continuum of, of uh, of uh, the whole specter of uh, capacity, capacity of teaching. Yeah, and but I think it is, he's, he's so prolific, he just keeps teaching and teaching and teaching. And of course, what better way to get to improve is just to keep trying. And uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's what so I think it's, it's a very good idea. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I don't yeah. think there should be any necessity to, to rush into, uh, you know, recording lots of talks necessarily. Mm. You get do do it when you're ready. Yeah. Um, do you feel that? Do you feel that there's any pressure on you in terms of like um, being obviously a native Norwegian? Do you feel like there's pressure from 
the Norwegian people for you to, to up the increase the amount of teachings you have available or put them online? Do you feel there's any pressure like that? Yeah, but not much because they uh, the yeah. uh, the our committee they know me quite well and. Uh, they do wish to kind of set up a YouTube channel and they do want to, we have starting to play with the podcast ourselves. So, and we do, and I also, I want to kind of somehow create uh, some teachings which can be digital. So we can put on uh, some web page or some, some social platform somewhere, but it, this is a lot of work and, and it, it takes time and it will come. Uh, but we, I just have to, do this one step at a time. I think the first yeah. thing we will start to do now after oh, this, uh, in a few months, we'll probably start working more on podcasts. Maybe we can make a Norwegian uh, language podcast. Um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. I mean, I'll be quite candid with you. Um, I, I uh, did a lot of study before I started this podcast, but there's never a point at which you're going to have have it perfect when you start you just have to start no. and then work on it and refine it as you go yeah um, and I, I i'm really glad that i started because i'm every single guest i feel like i've learned so much from them or, or heard a really inspiring story um so I, I have no regrets it's been really really interesting and i really hope that you know the thousands of listeners uh, who are hearing these podcasts uh really benefit as well um, look, I, we're getting on towards uh, wrapping the interview up, but I'd like to just ask, could you tell us a little bit about um, the Buddhist Society of Oslo and Viken? Um, uh, it's early days, of course, but what, what, what have you been doing so far? Where's it at, would you say? Yeah, what where we are at. Um, uh, we, are, uh, try, we are trying to create... A society. So we're trying to create a group of people who have some like uh, uh, common interests of developing uh, spiritually in this Buddhist tradition, uh, based on teachings. We call it for early early Buddhism. So we, we where we get inspiration from the earliest teachings we have, and we, we have done this now for a year or maybe one and a half year now. And our main effort had been to run retreats. Um, and that, that is also because that's what I'm, I feel confident doing. I really feel that I know what I'm doing when I'm, when I'm teaching retreats. And um, uh, we, we get good results. And the, our experience so far is that, yeah, we can make hundreds of YouTube talks and, and podcasts, etc. But a lot of people they just consume all these teachings and they don't do anything more and and to be able to create mm. a society where there are actually people who are who really wish to somehow develop and they want to help this process uh, our experience is that we need to get them on a retreat when i'm teaching retreat i'm teaching like 30 40 hours various types and people get a lot of experience and then they really understand what this is about and they get and they uh, uh and they get really interested so our committee now this year they are all people who have been to one of our retreats because they they really understand what this is about norway is not 
Norway is really far away from traditionally Buddhist country, like uh, like uh, uh, Japan and and Thailand and and India and Sri Lanka, etc. It's really far away. It's not like Australia, which is almost neighbor to all these uh, Buddhist countries. Norway is really far away, and there's not a big Buddhist kind of community in Norway. So you have to teach all the basics and you need to learn people what Buddhism actually is. And when they do understand what is, this is actually a training of the mind. And there is no kind of creator God. It's not like Christianity. It's actually quite different. They actually start to uh, get honestly interested and they're willing to put in effort to develop a small society and they get inspired and they can help. So what we've done so far is to run a lot of retreats uh, in various parts of the country because we know that uh, we get an opportunity to to give a lot of information, a lot of uh, teachings and giving people a lot of experience and their own practice. And, and that is really, um, it kind of works building a community. Well, I have to say, I think that's a fantastic way to approach it because really Buddhism isn't just about ideas. It's not just accepting that you believe this or believe that. Correct, correct. It really is. It's very much about that experience and that meditative experience where you can actually not just look at the mind but see how it can be transformed Yes. through, yes. through you know, practicing um you know stillness and that that's that's the transformation which is not just changing your mind it's changing your heart as well yeah and i think it causes people to um change from within and it's, it's quite a powerful thing yeah yeah so look i think that's um amazing and uh I keep doing that it sounds like it's a really good um place to start and, and to keep going for quite a while is to really just focus on those quality meditation experiences. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I really want to, want to thank you for taking the time to, uh, to talk to us on the Treasure Mountain podcast. And I've got to say, I really uh, wish everyone at the Buddhist Society of Oslo and Beacon all the very best. And I wish you the very best uh, in developing your community of practice in Norway. Thank you. And thank you, not just to Arjun, but thank you to our listeners as well for joining us on this episode of Treasure Mountain with Arjun Nito, a simple, simple monk who loves meditation and has returned to his native Norway to found a community of people that are interested in meditation. You can find out more about the Arjun Nito, uh, including links to the uh, Buddhist Society of Oslo and Viken, that's the OVBF, uh, I'll put links below in the description so that you too can find out more about what they're doing. And it's not just in Norwegian, it's also as an English version as well. Uh, you can find out more about Treasure Mountain Podcast by going to treasuremountain.info where you can find all the previous episodes and information about all our guests. If you enjoy this podcast, you can subscribe to Treasure Mountain using your favorite podcast app in order to get notified about future episodes. And don't forget to tell your friends about Treasure Mountain too. 
I'll have more inspiring guests and topics in the coming weeks. And until that time, may you find the truth.